As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View From The Lane. Tick, tick, tick. Yes, the multi-award winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Joining me are The Athletic's Jack Pitt, Brooke and James Moore. Hello everybody, welcome aboard. On today's episode we'll discuss Wednesday's harem scarum win over Brentford, the transfer window, and we'll look ahead to Everton at the weekend. Um, before we start, um, put out the bunting, light fires in the high points of the land and kiss a neighbour as they pass, we've been crowned the best team podcast in the world um, at the Sports Podcast Awards for the second year running. It really, uh, I couldn't be more thrilled. I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't be more thrilled. Well done, Jack. Well done, James. Well done, everybody who's involved with the show. First Spurs organisation to defend a crown since 1982 in the FA Cup. Um, really, genuinely, thank you so much. I know I cajoled you and threatened your families and all that sort of stuff. But uh, thank you very much for voting. Um, beat some very good podcasts, including ones from The Athletic um, and indeed the New York Yankees podcast, which has millions and millions of followers. They just couldn't find a way to beat all of you. So thank you very, very much indeed. OK, we'll get on to Brentford in a short, in a short while. But first, um, the transfer window. Uh, something did happen yesterday. Um our own athletics, David Ornstein, broke the news that the Swedish talent Lucas Bergvall uh, chose to join Tottenham Hotspur over Barcelona. Um, 18-year-old midfielder has emerged as a, you know, we all say this, a European's most coveted prospects, or one of them. I have previously hadn't heard of him, I've got to be honest. An agreement to a fixed fee approaching about £8.5 million, so €10 million, Euros, I guess, they're talking about there. He's going to stay at his current club, Joe Gordon, for the rest of the season before moving in the summer and being part of Spurs' quote senior squad. Um, he's blonde. He has a very thin red Alice band in the uh, in the only picture I've seen of him. And my the laugh, James, was uh, on Twitter last night, on social media in general, not that he joined Spurs, but Barcelona fans doing their nut um, about the fact he hadn't joined Barcelona. We all know they've got just infinite, and I mean infinite, financial problems Barcelona. It just probably didn't offer enough money to him to go. But among the Barcelona fans that I was 
well, frankly, tittering to myself about the idea that he should join Spurs rather than Barcelona was causing genuine conniptions. So instead of saying, we're a really shit team now, a really shit club, Barcelona, they were turning that back on Spurs. Yeah, I, I mean, where are Barcelona in the league? They're, they're going to probably be in the Champions League, aren't they? I think they're four. I mean, probably, but we don't know who their manager's going to be. They're playing in that rubbish old ground out of town while they rebuild the new camp. Uh, like you say, they've got all these financial problems, so like, Lord knows who's going to play for them next season. You know, they signed Lewandowski on massive money, and he's not been great. I mean, I'm not, look, his kids, I think he turned 18 today. Uh, he shouldn't be kind of uh, focusing on the short term too much. But you know, if you're looking at Spurs and Barcelona and, the, and their kind of respective trajectories, actually, it's Spurs that are kind of more likely in the next three or four years to be in decent nick in Barcelona, surely. Also, I was thinking, like, when this, when, when I first read that he declined Barcelona, I thought, that's weird. I sure, I, I kind of assumed that all the kids would have, like, across Europe, would have this romantic attachment to wanting to play for Barcelona because, obviously, you know, they've been um, the kind of iconic team of the last 20 years. But then I thought, hold on, the, Bergvall was born in February 2006, so he would have been two when Guardiola took over there. He would have been, what, five in the 2011 Champions League final? And even the great 2015 Champions League like treble win with Luis Enrique, he would have just turned nine. So he might not have been... He actually won't have grown up in this atmosphere of Guardiola's Barcelona in quite the same way as someone who was five or ten years older than him. And so maybe, I mean, again, I don't really know what I'm talking about here, but I wonder whether he, um, someone of his age, would have just grown up with kind of pure Premier League, basically, like hegemonic Premier League coverage. <laughs> He's a Barclays boy. He's a Barclays boy, yeah, exactly. And so maybe to him, you know, the the attract, the allure of playing in the Premier League versus the allure of playing for Barcelona, it's actually not, you know, the the former is at least as attractive as the latter, perhaps. In the rest of the transfer window, it's sort of the final score, James, and I'll leave this to you because uh, I have appointed you and dubbed you, I think it's the correct phrase, our uh, transfers are, um, in Dragushin, Werner, more about Werner later, um, and Bergvall, uh, come the summer, and out, uh, permanently Loris, and then Eric Dyer on loan, and uh, I think 11 others on loan in one of the great, we're going to spread these players out across the world. What did you make of the transfer window eventually? Uh Look, I sort of was hesitate to say Spurs won the window, but is there anyone in the Premier League who you could possibly conceivably say had a better window? Like, is anyone? I mean, you can never tell. Can never tell. You never know Nottingham Forest players, do you? Well, that's true. But I mean, it, they've rotated the whole team. It's again. probably safe to assume that, uh, like, proportionally, half of them will be crap, or, or or a couple of them will be really, really good, but never play. So they always seem to have a couple of them who then within six months are somewhere else looking really good. But yeah, I mean, look, of the kind of top teams in the Premier League, which is very well documented by now, but because of FFP and all the other kind of rules and regs regarding uh, finances in the Premier League, a lot of clubs have been restricted in terms of what they can do, in particular you know, clubs like Villa and Newcastle, who otherwise probably would have spent quite a bit of money trying to kind of close the gap in Newcastle's case or keep themselves in the top four in Villa's case. And they've not been able to do that. And Spurs clearly have been able to go out and tick a fairly big box in bringing another centre-back in Dragosheen. Uh, you know, we've mentioned before, they brought in Werner too, and I know we're going to talk about him in regard to the game in a minute. So, uh, there's, there's no one else. I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think any of the other kind of top, the, the kind of broader top six, which is now about 12 teams, you know, if you include, did West Ham sign anyone? I feel like they did actually. Who did West Ham sign? 
Oh, they got uh, Phillips online, didn't they? And then attempted to sell their entire bench in the last 12 yeah, hours at, of the transfer window. At the window. time of uh, this podcast being recorded, they haven't sent those players out, but I think there's some uncertainty as to whether FIFA are going to get involved with... Uh, Does it involve fax machines, I, James? I don't, well, what's the system? I mean, Jack might know better than me, but there is some kind of convoluted system that like, clubs in different countries use on the deadline day to kind of... Yeah, uh, or- TMS... Not test match special, yeah, transfer market system or something. I should know this, but I don't. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, but uh, get me echo share. Exactly, Charlie would know. Anyway, exactly. anyway, so I would say transfer suppose, matching system. Transfer, transfer matching, matching system. system. Oh, That's okay. the big computer you have to swipe thing, right if you want to send the player out on. Um, <laughs> yeah, suppose I've had a good window. I think I, I, it's kind of certainly by the kind of contemporary standards, i.e., what everyone else has done in the last month. I mean, Spurs have kind of led the way. I don't. I don't really think there's any conceivable way you could say Spurs have weakened. Really, is there? None of the players who have gone out w- have played in the first half of the season, with the exception of Dyer, who obviously has been replaced by a drag machine. So it all seems pretty good to me. Let's get back to the game on Wednesday night at White Hart Lane. I mean, because there is actually, and people be very impatient with us. There's so much to talk about. First of all, let's talk about the pre-match entertainment. You were both there. What about the light show? What, did you enjoy that? Uh, well, I, <laughs> I really thought that was rubbish. And I, I, look, I, I don't want to be... Hang on, let me, just, let me just put a tick on my, on my expected James responses. Tick. Uh, but they've done really well <laughs> to make all the pre-game stuff really good this season or, or over the last year. You know, we talked a lot about like all the music they were playing before the games last season. And this season they've made, you know, the guy with the trumpet, it's all been really good. But every now and then they've tried to kind of sneak another bit in and it's completely ruined the rhythm of the whole thing. And it then makes it all really rushed when, like, Paul Court is reading through the team and then the guy plays when the Spurs go marching in and whatever else. It all just gets really kind of contracted into a tiny little period of time. Jack, you're, give us a give us a match report on what happened against Brentford. Well, I thought the first half, first half was bad. Um, Brentford looked so well-organised. They played in a kind of deep 5-3-2. It was really difficult for Tottenham to get through. Tottenham... Tottenham kept kind of running into a penalty area with nine Brentford shirts in it. Um, and also Brentford were really, really good at being annoying to play against, basically. You know, fouls, buying free kicks, taking two minutes over every free kick, um, you know, big on set pieces. And they really, and they kind of, and talked about this afterwards, they really dragged Spurs into playing the kind of game that they didn't want to play. Like Spurs, you know, Spurs spent the first half bickering about decisions and um, getting involved in arguments with the Brentford players, and and never really looked looked like scoring. And at half time, I thought, hmm, you know, I think everybody thought this is not really this is not really what Spurs wanted to do at all. And then, kind of almost out of nowhere, they made those two changes at the break, kind of tweaked the system a bit, and then they just blew them away in the first sort of ten. It was, it, it was as if Brentford had kind of not remembered what made them so good in the first half or they couldn't really cope with uh, the extra intensity that Tottenham started with. And then all of a sudden Tottenham with were 3-1 up. And then the game returned to a kind of... Uh, once they tried to control the game, they did. And Doggy made that error, one of two actually, that cost Spurs goals on the night. Um, and without coming Ange Postacoglu, I will say this about the two mistakes that Doggy made. In both cases, he was attempted passing the ball sideways or back. The problem with the way, small p problem if you like, the problem with the way Spurs play is if you make a mistake with a ball that isn't going forward, the whole team is taken out of the game in an instant. Um, and that's what happened in both cases. Um, so, uh, you know, they're a bit 
pass it forward, lads. At least give yourself a chance to have some white shirts on the right side of the ball. Um, what did you make of it, James? I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was one of the uh, one of the better games I've been to at that stadium. I think it just had the perfect kind of blend of the, the peril of going one 0 down, like a, 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 like a really sort of rousing fight back in the second half, and then added peril again at the end because they conceded a stupid goal. So the ending was still exciting. It's pretty much perfect. I think I've said on this podcast, and I think on Football Clichés actually, that 3-1 is the best scoreline in terms of a game. Uh, for your team to win in terms of like the, the levels of excitement and it not being too easy, but it being kind of enjoyable enough. But actually, I would now say a 3-2 win where you're 1-0 down and then 3-1 up and it finishes 3-2 is absolutely perfect. Well, I'm, I'm interested you say that because, you know, my mantra, give yourself a chance to to lose 3-2 if it gives you a better chance of winning 3-2. But this is not a 3-2 I, I over-enjoyed. I enjoyed the three part of it very much indeed, as you can imagine. Let me just tell you, though, a couple of stats, of course. And this is a very small sample of football matches, but Tottenham won without Kane or Son in the Premier League for the first time in more than five years. Um, but, of course, they don't play very often without one of them in the team. More pertinently, I suppose I returned a half-time deficit to win a Premier League game for the first time since November 2022. That was against Leeds, so that 4-3 game. They had failed to win any of the 10 previous times they'd gone in with a first-half deficit. Let me just say about the first half. In, in the modern way, I thought it was an, a fantastic piece of coaching by Thomas Frank. He asked the team to do three things. Obviously, he asked them, because otherwise, why would he be doing it? to defend both very deep and extraordinarily narrow um, to frustrate what Spurs can do or what he assumed Spurs were going to do. He then asked them to watch out for Spurs making errors. I mean, the back pass was, was the first the first goal. Um, and then to go, everybody go, because even with Van der Ven's pace, they cannot outnumber you because the, the team is so far forward. And thirdly, as you said, it pointed out there, the shithousing, which started as soon as they scored, um, and centred around the remarkable footballing figure that is Neil Mopé. Um, I rarely take time out to uh, berate an individual player from the opposition. It's a team game after all. Um, but our colleague, J Charlie Eccleshare, uh, I can't remember the exact word he used. It might as well have been, I think it might well have been another Anglo-Saxon swear word, when he said, is there a, a bleep player in the Premier League than Neil Mopé? Where does this fella get off? I mean, I know he got under Spurs' skin, so he'll say mission accomplished. Well... I'm not sure about that. I mean, he definitely did get under Spurs' skin, but did it not kind of rile the team in a way that probably cost Brentford the game in the end? I don't know. The game was incredibly flat in the first... or Spurs' performance was incredibly flat in the first half. And it kind of felt like... I mean, obviously, that goal was after half an hour, and it was kind of 15 minutes of play, or 17 minutes probably of play between that and the first Spurs goal. But it did kind of feel like it must have been a thing that came up at half-time one way or another. I mean, it just felt like they were complete. They were really, they're obviously riled by it, and not just Madison, but also, uh, you know, Johnson and Richarlison both did that Madison celebration thing when they scored. So it's clearly a thing they collectively had become quite kind of enraged by. Protective which, about, yeah. Which, which is obviously, you know, you and I would describe as tin pot. But I don't think you could argue that it's worked for Brentford. I mean, Spurs came back into the game having started badly. Their, their performance improved as the game wore on and then kind of dropped off a bit towards the end. But, well, I'd like to think that was down to two substitutions. <coughs> well, yeah, yeah, obviously, I'm sure... A tremendous kick up the I'm arse sure, to get up there and play faster. I'm sure Ange Postacogli would agree with you. 
But I, I don't think that... I mean, I've watched loads of games where Spurs have got wound up and the crowd have got wound up by time-wasting and stuff and you felt like it's worked against Spurs. But this definitely wasn't one of those games. I think it, I think it was the opposite. Well, the manager didn't in the first half, did he? His actual quote was talking about the... Uh, the various dart celebrations and the players getting into each other about it. He said, I'm not a fan of it. I don't like the whole bravado pushing people around. If you're that brave about things, my players and their players, get into a UFC cage and I'll see how brave they are. Uh, that We're out there to play football. I guess the Mope thing annoys me because when you see someone like, I don't know, Diego Costa would be the classic example, um, who does an awful lot of riling up the opposition, but you know he's a really brilliant player, um, you have to kind of swallow it somewhat. Um, but Neil Mope, you know, he's having a actually he's having a very good spell just now. But he spent the last eighteen months being not good enough for list of teams that he's not good enough for. I should say, by the way, that you, you mentioned shit housing starting with that celebration. But actually, I mean, Ivan Tony, in the first four minutes of the game, he he could have easily been booked three times in those first four minutes. And you know, we all know the way the chronology works. If he gets booked for the first one, the second two probably don't happen. But it was amazing yeah, that, the, like... Known, known in the game as the Norgard phenomenon. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't even know if we even want to get into that. I, we do. I, I, we do. I, I cannot fathom that. And I know look, everyone else has seen the game and they all feel exactly the same about it. But I, for there to be not just, like, four or five fouls that the referee didn't give, so therefore he's never going to get booked for. He, there are five fouls given against Norgard after he got booked. And that one on Johnson on halfway, which, I mean, was so obviously a foul. Like, a cynical foul to break up a counter-attack. I, I, I cannot fathom how he didn't get sent off. No, I, it's, and, it's, and it, I, it I don't think incredible. anybody can. And, and this is, you know, we always say this on this podcast, we're in the absolute sweet spot now of Spurs having won the game, but we still get to moan about the referee. Yeah, but hang on, let me just warm my hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly, this is what we need. Very, very nice, yeah. Just to, Jack, back to the analysis of the football, um, try and help uh, the ignorant among us, including myself. Why was Spurs... I put it positively. Why were they unable to break or make much impression on Brentford's low block in that first forty-five minutes? I thought well, Spurs were very narrow. You know, they didn't they didn't really have a lot of width. I think it's kind of inbuilt when you have uh, fullbacks who play in the middle of the pitch, um, as well as Werner driving inside and Kulusevski driving inside always. So they were very very narrow. Um, I didn't think they moved the ball very quickly. I didn't think Benton Kerr played well. Madison obviously first start back after, well, it's now three months since his injury against Chelsea. Um, and so, that yeah, they were just a bit ponderous. Obviously, if you're going to play against a team that, that defends in that way, you need to, you know, really, you need to use the full width of the pitch, which they didn't do, or you need to move the ball incredibly well just to, um, to kind of drag the opposition out of place and try and create some tiny pockets of space in the middle of them, and Spurs didn't really manage to do either of that. They left, you know, they didn't get the ball quick enough to Werner. When they did, Werner was, you know, coming in, cutting inside into a box with a wall of Brentford shirts. So, um, yeah, they never really, they never really got going, and they never really looked like scoring in that first half. By the end of it, they were just kind of hacking hopeful shots from twenty yards out. I have to say, having watched that game, it really did illustrate the fact that we, I, I think, were sort of. Maybe not oblivious, but I think we kind of chose to ignore the obvious fact about all these players returning from injury, which is that none of them are properly fit and sharp. You've got like half a team there who have had pretty bad injuries in the last couple of months. You know, and Bentegar, who's actually barely played a game in like a year, over a year actually, if you include the injury he got out of the World Cup as well. Uh, and 
you know, we all got very excited by having Bentancur and Madison, Van der Ven, Romero, whoever else, all in the team at the same time. And obviously, that is an exciting thing. But the reality is, it's not like a computer game where, where they come back, they're 100% fit. They actually have to build it up when they come into the team. And to have like four or five players coming into the team at that kind of level at the same time, probably actually like counted against Spurs. And to get Hoiberg on, who obviously isn't, as technically gifted a player as uh, Benton Kerr or Madison, but is probably fitter and sharper at the moment, having played like a decent amount of football over the previous few months, actually did make quite a big difference. I, I, yeah, he, can I? Can I? He was very good. Can I talk about Timo Werner now? Because I, I know uh, <laughs> we're about. We're, we're about we, to talk we, about we Timo will. He, you want to get your defence in? Early no, no, no. I, he, I, uh, he showed you up on Wednesday. I, I, we don't need to talk about what I sent you on WhatsApp at half time. Um, go, on, go on then, Danny. Do your Timo Werner a bit. No, 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 I mean, I've, I've got no, I've got no personal gripe with you, James. That's your modus operandi. Oh, you mugged me off on the last uh, one. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be fair. You, a bit like all of us with Kulusevski after two games, we'd written him off. I mean, uh, Werner. I think once Spurs played a bit more speed, oddly enough, that his it was his speed that then started to to change the game. Great run by Udogi, um, but the way he slowed Pinnock, who'd had an excellent game up to then down. Um, like a, a fast little man is supposed to do, and then just made the half a yard to get the ball across um, for Brandon Johnson's goal. I thought I thought he, he was very, very good, and I'm sure you agree. Right, sidebar first. Ethan Pinnock is the first player I've seen play against both Tottenham and Kingstonian. Right, let's come out of that now. That is brilliant, that is actually. Good. Thank you that for that. Really yeah. Good. Yeah, Werner was, in, particularly in that kind of, and this isn't me reducing his performance down to like 10 minutes, but like particularly in that period of the game, he was incredibly good. It was It was genuinely... And I don't want to kind of be accused of hyperbole here. It was like Gareth Bale's sort of 2010 kind of that inter game. Do you know what I mean? But it was like a, a searing pace around the outside, going out around, going out on the outside of the fullback, and then having done that, then being completely terrified of the possibility of him doing it again, and it completely changing the way they defended for the rest of the game. And that's what created. You know, you saw the, the third goal where Udogi, to quote a great line of Spurs commentary used him by not using him because two or three Brentford defenders are distracted by the sight of Werner coming around the outside that he can just play the ball inside to Madison he has slightly more space gets a shot away it's blocked then Richardson scores I like, like the idea of him from that point onwards I like completely terrified Brentford and I'm not saying that's going to linger for the rest of the season with every team we play against but if he can do what he did in those first 10 minutes of the second half semi-regularly it will actually make life a lot easier for the other players in the attack purely on the basis of him being so worried about him doing it again. I I, th- I thought he did his best work immediately after the game. His pitch side interview done in near perfect English. He made one malapropism, but um, absolutely and and understanding um, where he is in his career and all the rest of it. I thought it was really uh, I thought okay. This guy this guy's got his head screwed on as well as everything else. Very very good. Five goal thriller. Four of them involving Destiny Udoggy, Jack. Now, of course, we love Destiny. We love the fact he's called Destiny. Um, but that was an amazing afternoon's work for one player, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, look, I thought the mistake for the the mistake for the second goal is obviously it looks really bad, but I think it's just a one-off. It you looks know, really bad. I mean, it, it, it obviously <laughs> it looks really bad because it, 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 it he set up a direct a Brentford goal directly, but then. If he's if he's unsighted, I think it's kind of it's just the kind of 
you know, one-off. He hasn't seen him. If Brentford, by the way, one, if, Brent, exactly, yeah, he if doesn't Brentford see are wearing their home kit, or they have they have a neon away kit, They're that goal that, does not that happen. That weird kit, yeah, yeah, exactly. I just think he didn't see him. Um, and so I wouldn't blame him, I wouldn't blame him too much. Over, but then going forward, you know, I thought he, he was fantastic. He needed a bit of, I mean, I think he, he needs a bit of space to operate in, like a lot of players. You know, he needs, I think he, in that first half, there wasn't really any room for him to run into. But then obviously, with that, um, when he, he, he scored the equaliser straight after the break, he got, clearly had a bit more, a bit more space to attack. And then I thought, you know, from that point on, he looked, he looked a bit more confident. And also, Danny, were you going to sorry? Were you blaming a doggy for the first goal? Yeah, because I kind of think for the first goal. I mean, yeah, he clearly... a, a three-yard pass that wasn't necessary. I know. Yeah, I get that, but like, it shouldn't have been so easy after Spurs lost the ball for Brentford to to kind of spring into that into that space. Maybe I'm being too I'm being too nice on a doggy. Maybe it's unfair to expect Spurs' kind of offside line to operate immediately after they lost the ball. It was very Diaz that by the way that uh, that uh, high line. It just like that conjured image is about Liverpool correctly disallowed goal. It's very very similar sort of part of the pitch. And Spurs struggled with that throughout the first half, you know, just before Brentford scored, there was a moment where I think it was Van der Ven rather than Romero who played I think it would have been Mope, but I can't exactly remember, or maybe the right wing back on side. So it's, I mean, Spurs is what, what what I'm trying to say is Spurs' defensive struggles in the first half were not just down to a doggy, even though he obviously gave the ball away in the build up to Brentford's opener. No, and and Spurs won the game, and we are talk, we are all trying to get used to an all out attacking mode. But before anyone gets on their on their hind legs, I thought Romero was far and away Spurs' best player in the second half. Um, that for, for all the speed at which they played, overall, I thought he he just he just had a proper proper game uh, in that last forty five minutes. James, you're putting your finger up to me as as though you want to say something. Yeah, what I would say about that first goal, although in those circumstances when you're kind of exposed like that, you can't really rue your luck. I, I think the way the ball fell for Mope and the fact he he actually completely mishit it and then it like it went yeah. in off his other leg. <laughs> But you could say the same for Udogi and yeah, Richardson's yeah, 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 yeah. goals for Spurs, couldn't uh, you? It, you know, it was kind of there was a degree of fortune. If the ball had fallen more or less anywhere else. It come out at any other angle, at any other trajectory. Either it wouldn't have fallen to Mope or uh, Romero would have got there. It kind of underlines the um, the nerve of doing his banter celebration after all, very, very nearly screwing yeah, up, I, yeah. uh, so, screwing up the finish. I mean, it is incredible. I, wh- one thing I did like was Madison clearly winding up Mope afterwards about how he he doesn't score enough goals, and then Mope going on on Instagram to make the point that Madison had been relegated more times than him and scores fewer goals. And it made me think when I saw that. I really hope Mope had to look that up. I hope he had to go on Madison's Wikipedia page and check how many goals can, he's can scored I just to make check. make a revelation? It probably wasn't that, that clear. So I, I, with apologies to whoever on Spurs Twitter unearthed this, I can't remember who it was. But uh, apparently that was just like taken from a tweet from some banter account. Someone, 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 someone they didn't say it? No, he, no he, he did tweet it or put it on, what, uh, on uh, Instagram. But it had originally been tweeted by someone else had tweeted it. So he probably got it from a, oh, tw- wow. like, like a viral tweet that night. But, but what I would say, I mean, look, without... Basically like me doing this podcast. I don't want Neil Mopay to think he's living in this podcast head rent-free, because I know that's clearly a big deal to him. He's played proportionally quite a lot of his career in lower leagues than the top flight. I mean, he's played... Oh, and, oh, the oh and when I saw that tweet, I just thought, what the hell is Thomas Frank going to make out of that? Because let's be fair, 
Luton's win means that Brentford are not so very far from the relegation zone themselves this year, are they? I mean, it, it, let's put it this way. Brentford stay in the Premier They're League. They're fifth favourites to go down. If Brentford play in the Premier League, it's going to be down to the other four forwards employed by uh, employed by the club. Uh, sorry, three forwards. So Tony and Bamo and Wissa. If only in the last hours of the, of the uh, transfer window recently shut, he had been recalled by Everton so he could play again against Spurs. Um, in a couple of days' time. And it's that game we'll look forward to next here on The Future of the Lane, where you'll listen to me, Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, welcome back to the View Plane. I'm Danny Kelly. Alongside me today, I'm delighted to say the Athletics, uh, James Moore and Jack Pitt Brook. We're still, uh, during that short break, we were still arguing about Neil Mopé's reputation in the game. Um, I dare say this one will run and run. Some people, um, but quite, um, try to, I think this is deliberately provocative. Pat Spurs 2 on Twitter. Uh, reminding us that um, momentous night in Spurs history, um, this game against Brentford, as Ange's uh, 13th league win in 22 means he matches Tim Sherwood's win ratio over the same number of matches. My advice to you, Pat, um, is watch this space, because I suspect that's going to change. Is the implication of this that Tim Sherwood's win percentage is no longer second to none? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, that, is, that is factually correct now, Jack, which I know is always your bottom line. Uh, with these things. All right, so um, a win against Brentford that put Spurs back into the top four. However, uh, harem scarum, the actual game was, and perhaps it's um, my nerves uh, that are suffering rather than the Spurs team. They they, they, they obviously got the three points they needed. Um, another 
game that will be tough. Um, will involve a, an opposition low block, um, but hopefully is winnable for Spurs. Comes up on Saturday. I think it's the midday kind of kickoff, 12.30, um, away at Goodison Park. Let's, do, let's get a few facts about Everton. Come on. So Everton Everton have taken two points in their last five league games. Um, their only win since December was in the FA Cup. And it's, it's the run that started with their defeat to Tottenham, um, in Tottenham. And I, I think that it, look, it looks to me as if that run they had in the autumn where it looked as if, you know, they'd be well safe even with the 10-point deduction. They don't really look as secure anymore, do they, because of this this bad run they're on. So I don't know whether that makes it a good time to play them or not. Well, they're all, they're, they're also a tough nut to crack in, in on Merseyside, I think. And uh, one more fact before you talk about the game. Um, Tottenham remain, as we, we know now, the only side to have scored in every Premier League game this season. Um, netting in each of their last 34 in the competition means they're closing in. They're in the top five all time now, though um, Arsenal's Invincibles with 55 successive games in which they scored are still a distant horizon. Um, only kept one clean sheet, Spurs, so in the last 13 league games, um, conceding 25 goals in total in that run. Um, look, we'll, I'd like to, de- to devote a, uh, a podcast in the near future to the fact that Spurs don't keep clean sheets. Um, and what you know is that part of the plan um, that you know you have to give up defence in order to be so attacking? But there's a fact that you simply don't. Although I do think that there's an issue with. I think one of the issues with Spurs at the moment, and I don't, I don't really know what the answer to this is. Is kind of game management. It's, and I think this is what I mean. We were talking at the top of the show about the extent to which Ange Ball is is radical or different from what other teams do. And my my theory on this is that the most radical thing about it is how they play when they're winning. Because if you look at, say, you know, other high-possession teams who try and create lots of chances, like, for example, City, I don't know. Like, City, when City are ahead, if City are 2-0 up in a game, they'll just they'll sit back a bit and just pass the ball until the final whistle. Whereas Tottenham... They keep playing the way they play, even in games where it might be, you know, where other teams might slow down a bit and try and close the game out. And we actually saw, I mean, Everton, the home game against Everton is a really good example of this. The Brentford game, I think, is actually a pretty good example of this. Like Spurs didn't just try and lock the game down. And I know that people, you know, I know that the other side of the coin is that under Conte, they would all, and, and even under Mourinho, if they were ahead, they would always sit back. And so there's obviously, that you know, there's different ways to, to skin a cat and there's no there's no right answer but Tottenham's Tottenham's insistence on not managing the game in the conventional way and continuing to go for it even if that means sometimes you know you'll leave a doggy or whoever 1v1 against an opposition winger in a time where it might be more conventional to defend um that that to me is an interesting thing and I wonder whether we'll see that will change I'm not I'm not disputing any of that because I think it is all true but I- Looking back through the season, how many games have there been where Spurs have dropped points like towards the end? There's only really that Wolves game, and I don't think you could argue. I know, yeah, I agree. they lost that. On the, I, I, sorry, there might be another, but I say the one I can think of now. They've, they have lost points in winning positions, but well, earlier in the early, game, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know you can't just stop. I mean, if you score after ten minutes, you've got to continue to play the same way, haven't you? So I don't blame. I don't think game management explains why they screwed up the Chelsea game for example or the Villa game um, or the West Ham game 
But I do think that sometimes, and I know this isn't like borne out in the results yet, their approach in the second half, I think m- maybe that will come back to, to bite them at some point. Or maybe... That is quite, I mean, if you look at the last three home games, or last four actually, they've won them all, but conceded the last goal in the game. So, I mean, at, at Brent, Brentford was a bit earlier because that tiny goal was 67 minutes, but against Bournemouth, Scott scored on 84 Everton Gomez scored on 82 and Newcastle Jolinton scored on 91. I mean, that was to make it 4-1, so that's a bit different. But the other games were like live because of those late goals. So it does kind of suggest maybe... And the question I'll be asking when we do devote a bit more time to this, because we can't this morning, the question I'll be asking is whether this, um, this game management deficit, if you want to call it that, small d, is a matter of philosophy or inability? Because that's exactly, the question yeah. that haunts me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Does does Postacoglu want to manage the game better than they do? do, do does he want them to just keep possession and slow things down, or are they? Do, or does he just not believe in it? Because maybe he doesn't believe in it, and maybe he just wants to keep on. You know, that's the way we play, mate. And maybe they don't have the players to do it. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe when. I mean, it's difficult to. You can't really do that in midfield unless you've got players who are very very technically adept at, at keeping the ball like if you've got you know if you're City and you've got Bernardo Silva and Rodri etc in the middle of the pitch then you can keep the ball all day but um, if you've got Hoiberg and Skip it's not it's not quite the same um, but with Madison back in the you know if, if you've got Madison back and Benton Kerr and Basuma especially who's really you know, technically brilliant and under pressure, then maybe this is an ad- a kind of aspect of Tottenham's game we might see a little bit more of in the back end of the season. Sarah's back. Will he play at Everton, James? I, I think Ange Apostacoglu has uh, suggested he'll be involved, doesn't he, Jack? So Yeah, so he. I think he landed late Wednesday and then we'll have trained yesterday, Thursday. We'll train again. Uh, I don't know when Tottenham will be travelling. I assume Tottenham will be travelling Friday afternoon. So maybe he'll do a bit this Friday morning, um, and then they'll just have to take a view on how on how ready he is. But it's I think it's you know it's kind of expected that he should be in contention. I think the travelling is one thing. Watching the games in the Afcon, I have been watching the heat, and and more importantly, the humidity has been such that you want to test these players very carefully. They will be very very tired athletes when they uh, by the end of that tournament. Well, it's, he played uh, two hours on was it, uh, Monday night as well. So he did as well. And and, and uh, to be fair, um, he played two hours, of which the first hour was a kind of non-aggression pact between the players because of the, the temperature. And then after that, they they got stuck in. But it's, it's still, he's out there running around for those two hours. Well, Brennan Johnson. I mean, the, 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 I can't see you know too many selection issues if everybody's available. Maybe Saar would come in. Uh, maybe he'd be on the bench, and maybe he'd stop uh, Pierre Hoiberg because I thought he played very well in the second half. I think the issue with Hoiberg is that he's so. I think if you look at his performances this season, I think he's actually a really good substitute to bring on. And every time he's come on, I think he's been he's helped Tottenham. He's actually one of the few. He is good at managing the game, not in a in a slightly different way because he's more. He's kind of annoying, like, you know, he, he slows the game down and he buys free kicks and he gets in the referee's ear and he does a lot of pointing. There was a lot of pointing going on in the Brentford game. But he was, um, I thought he was good and I think he's a very, very, he's, I think he's probably the best player Tottenham have got at that job. But every time he starts, I think he looks a little bit uneasy, basically, with the kind of tactical, technical demands of of what Andrew's asking him to do. So I think... Um, 
I'm not sure if I would have him. I'm not sure if I would have him start. Johnson's an interesting one because I think. Look, I thought Johnson was really good second half, but I think he, I think he really, I think he's played too much basically. Like it was never. He's he started 13 games in the spin before, finally being being benched against Brentford, and I don't I don't think it was ever the plan for him to play that much, but he's had to because of injuries, and it. And he's always looked to me in the last few weeks as if he needed a, a little bit out of the, out of the side. I don't know if that's still the case, having been on the bench for the first half of Brentford, then come on and scored that and scored that goal. Um, but I do think that in particularly in te- against teams who defend deep and narrow, he could be he could be a lot more useful. Well, I only mentioned Brennan because um, the one who looks like need a rest now, perhaps, is Dejan Kulusevski. Now we know he's absolutely integral to what Spurs do, the running and all the rest of it. But James, he's not in his best period of form for Spurs just now, is he? No, I do also wonder whether kind of flitting between midfield and playing out on the right may kind of be causing him a few issues as well. Not that he's necessarily done badly in midfield, but I wonder whether kind of this the kind of lack of uh, rhythm there may be a factor. But yeah, it would definitely be understandable if he was feeling it a bit. You know, and like Jack said about Johnson, there's no way it would have been the plan for him to play the number of minutes and have to have covered the number of yards or miles. Uh, that he has done over the last couple of months so it would kind of be understandable but if your options are resting Kulisevsky because he's knackered or resting Johnson because he's knackered probably rest Johnson and keep Kulisevsky in the team given the levels of performances over the season I would have thought yeah and uh, just one last thought about that is that um, uh, when Son gets back the the, the Spurs will have quite a few forwards to shuffle even with the setback that Manor Solomon has suffered in training from his recovery from injuries we understand it Um, and I think the sight of Timo Werner and or um, Brennan Johnson coming on late in the game will send most defenders going oh god these are very very quick footballers so we'll we'll see but I suspect Kulusevsky will start as well Um, one doesn't want to get too overexcited but it's a game that Spurs can win and it's in this run of games that they can win. Um, and it would be very nice for them, having just snuck into the top four, to actually, if not cement, that's not it's not strong enough for that, but at least super glue um, their place in the top four temporarily for the moment. I would like that very much indeed. We'll see. They've got a decent record at Everton, I think it's fair to say. Um, listen, thank you both, um, not just for the last hour, but for everything you've done in the last year, which has seen us once again lift this award. Um, uh, sorry to the person on Twitter says for God's sake stop going on about awards mate that's what you do it's just the way of it Um, and once again the sideboard is groaning with such baubles and bagatelles and thank you all for listening just to remind you of course that the show has its own official home on Twitter at VFTL podcast and you can email us your questions and thoughts um, brickbats and bouquets at VFTL at theathletic.com And for the best Spurs coverage anywhere, pretty simple. Make sure you sign up to The Athletic itself. Take advantage of the current offer, which is just £1.99 a month for 12 months. Bless you all. See you after Everton. The Athletic.